everyone, and welcome to the Tidewad Tech, episode 110. Listener Spotlight, lucky number 13. Recorded October 22nd, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. I gotta stop right here. My four-year-old daughter was I was editing a podcast and she started saying Elmanopi.com. So I recorded that and I'm probably gonna insert that in uh, after this clip because it's just ridiculously cute. And That's I think awesome. I think she may be the one that says it from now on. I she, like it. She, she mimicked the inflection and everything. She's elementopi.com in, in her best broken four year old. You can do so much you can do so much with that too with uh, effects, you know, echo and reverb. <laughs> yeah. And lower her voice about eight octaves. And, oh, man. Well, that would, I think that would make it a little less cute. Well, that voice you just heard there is our <laughs> listener who will be spotlighted this week. None other than Mr. Pete Kuykendall, who's been here before. The the only person ever to be two listener spotlights, I think. Maybe we did it, but I don't think anybody else has. I, I think that's right. I think so. He was here with uh, his companion, Rose, in the uh, Denver Tech for All project see i remembered that right off the top of my head um where they uh take uh, refurbed and thrown away computers and give them away to needy people all over denver so that was a great thing and uh when uh what's your name the guy with that sean when sean (laughs) said hey we need to uh listener spotlighted people he jumped up and said pick me pick me and we did because we didn't have any other choice And also with and I'm us, honored. <laughs> and also with us as always, except last week when we didn't do a show, is the yes. effervescent Mr. Sean Kybel. Hi Sean, how's it going? Good, good. Great to be back. Yes, it's uh it's wonderful and it's been a good Monday, so uh, I'm in a good mood. So last week, uh Monday afternoon, uh, uh we we record on Monday nights. I sent Sean a text saying uh having a, a rough day late at work probably going to have to push things back. I'll be late tonight. I'll be there. And he responded back, um, no, you won't, because I'm actually out of town. Something came up. So both of us right. at the same time had something <laughs> come up uh, in the last minute. So we didn't have a show last week. Sorry about that. Um, but I, And I appreciate the fact that there were listeners who missed us. I got a few tweets and some emails saying, hey, what happened? Did the feed break? Where, where'd you go? Uh, well, we just didn't do a show. But we're back. Yeah. So. I thought that was hilarious because, yeah, uh, uh, basically, uh, my my dad had to go in for some uh, a day surgery, I guess, nothing major, but uh, that left me with having to watch the kids because uh, my, my parents watch my youngest son. And it, it was funny because I, I was telling myself, ah, I got I to gotta text Mark or, or give him a call or something, let him know. And I was literally driving back there when you sent me the text and you're like well you know i'm, I'm trying i you know it, it might be late whatever i'm not sure you know maybe i uh, might not be able to do it but i'm gonna try my best whatever and i was like let me clear that up for you <laughs> <laughs> let me make that decision decision really easy right so that worked out pretty well and it made me feel uh, not not as guilty <laughs> so we did 100 episodes two years of recording and never missed a beat and then we just kind of gave up, and we've missed shows left and right since then. <laughs> so we hit that mark, and then we gave up. Yeah, well, we were in a, we were in a sweet spot. We it's been uh, we've been going through some pretty busy times lately. Yeah, Allah uh, taking the whole summer off. 
which was uh, was definitely a good idea. <laughs> yeah, let's let's say we could have put out podcasts during that time, but they wouldn't have been very good. No, no, not at all, not at all. So uh, as I scroll down, man, Pete is a pro- prodigious uh, <laughs> yes. note maker. I mean, he's just got the greatest. I mean, if you ever are, if you're listening to this and you ever come on this show, uh, maybe you might want to get in contact with Pete because there's no shortage of content. Uh, let yeah. me tell you. So, uh, Mark, before we get into like the meaty stuff, right? I got to tell you uh, what I did this weekend because uh, it's going to hit home with you at least. But very much, uh, I'm jealous. Yeah. So, for for those of you that don't know out there, and you probably uh, may or may not know this person, probably don't, uh, not yet. But a uh, uh, young man by the name of Tyler Bryant. Uh, he's a I don't know what would you call it new blues music mark yeah it's uh it's southern blues rock um and he's been playing i've known him since he was four and he could shred a guitar when he was four and now right. he's 22 or something like and, that yeah and uh he, he came from uh he, he came up through the school system that both me and mark worked for us I, I still work for uh work with his mother she's still a, a teacher in the elementary uh, but, uh, he's, he's touring now. I mean, he, he's kind of, he's not quite big, big time, but, uh, he's, he's becoming a somewhat of a famous guitarist and, uh, his tour just happened to go through, uh, Louisville, the town that my parents live in. And, uh, so I heard about it, went out and, uh, watched him, uh, Tyler Bryant and the shakedown. That's the yes. name of the band. Uh, and let me tell you, Mark, I, one, I have to say, uh, early on when you told me about Tyler and I think it was probably his first album that you let me listen to, uh, he's come a long way. Yeah. He was like 14 then and, and yeah. it was really good, but yeah, he's, I have his latest album, uh, and this, his first ever, well, actually it's not even a studio album. It's still, I think he's still an unsigned artist, uh, doing all this, uh, on his own. And it's, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. Well, he's, uh, yeah, he's, really come along his voice he just he sounds great and man let me tell you live was amazing uh you know that's what he's known for is his is his guitar chops and uh i i've i don't know that i've ever listened to any band and i've seen some big ones that played so uh, flawlessly i mean you never heard him catch a note halfway or anything uh so it, it was pretty amazing to watch um and uh, yeah, you know he does. Uh, if you check it out on YouTube sometime, I don't know if you've seen it, but he uh, he did a promo for the show Vegas. This is a show that's just coming out. Okay. And it's cool because it's one of those promos that kind of shows some of the show, and then it'll bounce back to Tyler and the band playing, and it kind of goes back and forth. And uh, his music lends itself really well to uh, to that whole thing. So you have to check that out sometime. There was a movie a couple of years ago called Rock Prophecies about. Uh a, uh, a photographer, a rock photographer called Robert Knight, who uh, had uh, was sort of the exclusive photographer for all the guys back in the '60s, um, um, and I just blanked on every name of every guitarist in the '60s. Um, but he uh, uh, he was uh, personal friends uh, with um, Stevie Ray Vaughan, and okay. before Stevie Ray Vaughan died, they were having a conversation. He said, "You know, if anything ever happens to me." Uh, I, I, I'm a believer in reincarnation and you will know me when you hear me. And, and later in his years, Robert Knight sort of went looking 
for Stevie Ray Vaughan, and he believes he found him in Tyler Bryant. Uh, and that, that oh, movie wow. is about him uh, and his quest to find the the latest Stevie Ray Vaughan. And he, um, I mean, when when Tyler came back to uh, the small school where where we worked to for, to graduate after he'd done two world tours, uh, and he came back to graduate, and so everybody else had their moms and dads out there with their little camera phones. He had a uh, a, a famous rock photographer of uh, almost fifty years experience taking his pictures at the graduation. <laughs> very awesome so yeah i just i wanted to slip that in there and if you have not heard of tyler bryant uh check him out you might like his music especially uh like mark said if you like that southern southern rock blues uh kind of vibe it's it's a really cool thing and it's really cool to see somebody as young as he is uh keeping that alive so this week uh is Set to be a Google, or is it next week? A Google, uh, uh, October 29th. So next Friday, yeah. Friday a week from, or Monday a week from when we're recording this. Google is having a an event, an Android event of some sort. And yes. the next web.com says they know everything Google's going to talk about. And so, Well, this has been reported by several other sources. So it seems like, and I'm wondering if it hasn't been, uh, leaked on purpose right uh because a lot of this stuff is coming from a number of different sources although you start to wonder on the web did one person report it first and then everybody else is citing that as their source right <laughs> uh, just like we're doing <laughs> uh yeah so uh i mean all kinds of goodness coming out if this is if this holds up right mark yeah, so they just had the Nexus Seven, the seven-inch tablet. It, it's it's sort of just now hot off the presses. Uh, got, supposedly, I got my daughter one of those, by the way. You what? You have one of those? I got my daughter one. Oh, awesome! Yeah, and oh. yes, it is awesome. Yeah, a friend of mine I work with has one of those, and uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's it's a big phone without the phone. Um, and uh, they're but they're purportedly working on a ten-inch tablet that uh, supposedly is called the Google uh, Nexus Ten. Um, and there's also been some rumors that when that happens, the seven-inch tablet will drop like a rock in price. The the number that's been floating around is is a hundred bucks, ninety nine dollars. Um, if that tablet drops to ninety nine dollars, I will buy one for every member of my family, including my dog, and spend less than I would on an iPad. Yeah, it's uh, uh and, and I've got to say, uh, let's see, I got it for my daughter's birthday. It's been two weeks now almost and very very happy with that uh one the 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 price was reasonable and of course if it drops further then uh my son will be getting one for christmas my my two-year-old your two-year-old son yes but i mean that's how it is in my house because of course dad got an ipad right and uh i can't ever use my ipad yeah between the two of them, so you know, I, I thought at first it was it was maybe a little overkill to get my my two year old a tablet, and certainly not an iPad, um, <laughs> just because of the price involved. <laughs> but uh, I mean, they both use them with ease. I mean, and it's shocking to watch my two year old use this thing. So uh, you know, my daughter has one now. She's got the Nexus Seven, and I probably, especially if the price drops, I'm. I don't know. I may break down and actually get it for him before Christmas because I don't know if I can wait that long. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, my two-year-old, he knows the Netflix icon. I mean, he can literally pick up, you know, either the iPad or the Nexus 7. It's it's not a problem for him. Uh, it's funny to watch these kids go seamlessly back and forth. Um, he can pick it up, 
uh, wake it up, uh, unlock it, go to Netflix, select you know he, whatever he feels like watching, um, Thomas or or Caillou or whatever, and uh, and start watching something. Yeah. Or he can you know any of the number of kids games or in and learning stuff that I put on there. Um, so even at two, I mean, if you can protect it, if you can put a good enough case on it, uh, yeah, I mean they're toys now, right? I just tonight I was uh, doing some editing on podcasts, which is all I ever do with my life, and uh, I had the Element Op uh, website open, and my four year old sat down beside me, and if you've seen our website. Well, if you haven't, shame on you. Go do now. Go look at it now. But uh, it's uh, it's sort of icon-based. I didn't really intend for it to, to be that way, but it looks like something that would be on a tablet interface. And yeah, she that kept, you, would, you would touch and swipe yeah, or something. Yeah. She kept tapping on the icons on my laptop, trying to make things happen. And she kept <laughs> when the tapping didn't work, she tried swiping. And I said, honey, you're making fingerprints all over my laptop. Stop that. <laughs> but she didn't understand this whole mouse and keyboard thing. Well, Mark, I want to, I want to, uh, I wanted to talk about this Google stuff, and of course, we'll have a lot more to talk about after the after the reveal. Um, and I'm I'm hoping some of this is true, but they're talking about having uh, multiple user support on this Nexus. Right? 10. Yeah, that's supposed to be a feature in uh, the latest Android. Uh, Jelly Bean uh, has some limited functionality, and the latest one, Key Lime Pie. Uh, is supposed to have more but yeah they're they're saying it's basically uh you'll have two account there are apps that can do this now by the way um if you have uh, ice cream sandwich or up uh, but this is going to be built into the os so you have you log in with your account you get your email and your apps and all that my, my only problem with that is if i want angry birds and my wife wants angry birds and my kids want angry birds that's five different copies of angry birds on my device using up space because they're completely sandboxed from each other so i think ah, it's both good okay. and bad okay i did not know that that would be a problem so i was i was kind of hoping that maybe uh you know there'd be some things about that that would make it uh, a little more appealing uh, particularly in the education environment where uh you know just like a laptop or any other computer in an education environment where you've got people uh, different users throughout the day logging on to these devices um or maybe like uh, with tablets, I could see where you you might have a set of tablets on a cart in a hall, being shared by several classrooms. So maybe uh, if it was a kindergarten classroom, they'd log in under a kindergarten login, and a, a second grade classroom might log in under a second grade. I guess you could do it that way. You could do uh, multiple users, but being generic users per grade level. Yeah, that can certainly work, but you just got to be aware of the fact that these devices tend to have low RAM. Uh, or no low storage on them anyway, you know, 16, 32, right. 64 gigs at the most. Uh, and so if you download something like uh, um, Google Map at Sky, which is like 10 megs, uh, and you want to have that available to all your students, you got to understand that that's, that's going to be eating stuff up. If, I, if yeah. I'm understanding, that's the way the current apps do it. They may be better at it, but the way the current apps do it is it's, it's a complete sandbox thing. Actually move the folder and create another one so that the the device doesn't even know the other stuff is there. Right, right. Well, I guess we'll see. So, uh, yeah, keep keep uh, listening. If not next week, maybe the week after. I don't know. Is the 29th Monday? Yes, next Monday. Monday. Yeah, so it, I don't know. We can probably throw some things together pretty quickly. Um, 
But how much we can talk about it in detail next week, that'll be in question, just depending. Yep. So it'll be interesting to uh, to see what they break down. Also, there's uh, projections of a new uh, Android phone. The their what are they up to now? The neck, the Galaxy Nexus, I think, is their their uh, flagship phone now, and they're projecting uh, predicting the Nexus Four. Um, I'm not sure. I haven't read who the manufacturer of that is going to be. LG, maybe. Yeah, I think that's what it said in the article. Yeah, that sounds right. So, you know, this is all um, sort of unofficial um, information, but people who know these things say it's pretty believable. So I don't, I don't know. Right. I'm just right. maintaining plausible deniability. If it's all wrong, I can say, see, I told you that we didn't know for sure. Yeah, we were just reporting on how badly people speculate. <laughs> <laughs> So shall we? Uh, sh- should we do a listener spotlight? What do you think, Mark? Uh, you know we're all here. We might as well. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> so uh, with us this week is Mr. Pete Kikendall, and it took me a long time the last time he was on to to figure out how to say that name right. So I'm going to say it over and over again. His name isn't Pete. It's Pete Kikendall. Every time I say it, I'm going to say Pete Kikendall. Uh, <laughs> Congratulations. You know, That's tough for you guys in the South because uh, <laughs> somehow it morphs into Kirkendall down there. Right. So. Well, and I, I, went to, I went to school with a, a girl who spells her name the exact, uh, exactly the same way, but it was Kikendall. Um, and that's how she, she pronounced it. But I guess it, it's, you know, I mean, there's, there's things with names there, like that all over. It's the amazing place. how many there are. You know, we breed like flies. <laughs> in in the south we tend to put extra r's that don't belong in words my last name cockrell is often pronounced crockle crockrell and i don't know why crockrell. but we just like yeah. to throw extra r's in for no apparent reason so uh pete tell us a little bit hey, about tell us a little bit about you uh, uh let's talk first before we get into the the uh after hours goodness talk a little bit about your day job what do you do what is your experience in being a tech guy for the last four decades or so. <laughs> yeah, that's a little stunning. When I wrote that down, I thought, boy, that can't be true, but it is. Uh, I'm an electrical engineer. I have um, been involved in the field professionally since I was about 15 uh, in one way or another, um, <clears throat> which is 40 years ago. Um Currently, I work for uh, Comcast, which is a gigantic corporation. I think we have 24 million customers. I, I've never heard of them. And, they, they're uh, a cable company, you said? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, They're actually <laughs> I'm, I'm the third not, biggest phone company in the country, which is scary. I'm not familiar with them. Um, Comcast, was it? <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, um, so that's, uh, that's actually a new thing for me is working at that scale. Um, so I um, work on back-end uh, systems and sort of behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, for the last three years, I've been working on a, a device uh, that is one of these miraculous evolutions of silicon technology, basically. It's a box about the size of a microwave oven that takes in a digital cable plant signal <clears throat> and outputs an analog cable plant signal with 82 
um, analog TV channels coming out of this thing. So uh, what used to take literally a building full of equipment <clears throat> drawing, you know, like hundreds of thousands of watts of power is now in this little box drawing under 200 watts of power. Um, and as you can imagine, there's a number of technical challenges <clears throat> getting something like that developed and implemented. Uh, but the, the sheer scale of a company that has 24 million customers and, uh, and the amount of testing you have to do before you break something on the network on a national scale is, is just a new experience for me and very interesting. Uh, and how long have you been with the, with Comcast? Uh, about six and a half years. Um, <clears throat> I actually came over to work on a security project. Um, Comcast obviously makes their money, uh, or a lot of their money, by selling television programming. And the way they ensure that the money comes in is they uh, encrypt the signal. And uh, then it gets decrypted in the set-top box in a specialized uh, chipset. And so, as you can imagine, there's a lot of security around that and uh, managing the keys, the decryption keys, and delivering them securely. And uh, there's just a whole niche area of engineering around that. Um, and I brought with me some experience from my prior job. I worked for a, a, a relatively small company, about 30 people, uh, that did that sort of work for Dish Network. And that was a, uh, a wonderful, interesting job in that uh, my job was to break that system and um, do some research and go find the bad guys and go testify against them in court. So there are many interesting tales around that um, of intrigue and all kinds of stuff. It's uh, very much like the drug police work only, um, you know, in this area. And it's a great big criminal enterprise out there around <laughs> hacking satellite TV and distributing cards and suitcases full of cash and the whole bit. It's uh, it's an amazing parallel society that you never would know exists. So interestingly, I am a customer of both of those companies. I have Compact Cast Cable and Dish Network for Television. So you have worked for me for uh, a number of years and didn't even know it. <laughs> And that's the right combination of products, in my view. <laughs> I think you've got the <laughs> the right setup there. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll get a telemarketer who will want to sell me uh, Dish Network or DirecTV or something, and they'll give me this great pitch, and and I'll tell them, "Hey, I, you know, before you start, I've got a deal you can't beat." And they say, "What's the deal?" And I say, "I get everything they offer for just about zero." <laughs> they say, "You're right. We can't beat that." Yeah. It's like when people used to call me at work and offer me some uh, uh, great web package, you know, web hosting package or something and say, you know, what, what are you doing out for your content filtering? Well, it's an open source product that doesn't cost me anything. Well, what about your web hosting? Uh, I do it on Linux servers out of my own. doesn't cost me anything. Well, what do you do for backups? I use an open source product that doesn't cost me anything. And that usually shuts them up pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, either that or they'll they'll try. Yeah, it because and it's, of course, now I'm the one getting those questions, Mark, and they'll they'll fire back at you. Yeah, but that's not really uh, you know the I can offer you something that's more reliable. And I'm like, well, I've been here. Uh, this is going on my sixth year now, and uh, we've never had a problem with it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Does your uptime match? You know, that? It's amazing. Right. 
Yeah, it's amazing how much free software uh, we use, you know, kind of behind the curtain at Comcast, uh, which is ironic given that, you know, we, we so tightly control the stuff in the consumer space. But, uh, yeah, we couldn't live without it. And um, it not only has the price advantage, but the security advantage. Because if you don't have the source code, um, then it's not secure. And, and when somebody breaks it, you are completely dependent on the vendor to have the interest and motivation and expertise to fix it. And we all see that, of course, with Windows all the time. But, right. it, you know, it's just the nature of uh, closed, uh, non-free software. Uh, so if you want a secure system, it has to be open. And that's counterintuitive for a lot of people, a lot of executives and stuff. Uh, but, you know, once you explain it, people understand it pretty quickly. Well, that leads uh, me into a perfect question. What is a guy who works for Comcast doing on a tightwad tech show? There's nothing tightwad about the big cable industry. So how do you how do you marry those two worlds? You know, you're absolutely right. Uh, again, the scale of a company the size of Comcast is staggering to me. I've I've worked for some big outfits before, but not like this. Uh, the project I'm on now is. Part of an initiative of a larger initiative to uh, get rid of our analog service on our cable entirely and give it over to all digital services. And that was a multi billion dollar project that um, they just took on and figured, yeah, that's cool. Let's run with it. It's only a couple of billion dollars. Uh, you know, I've never worked in an environment like that before, but that's my day job. <clears throat> my non day job is volunteering with a number of. Uh, charity and service organizations who are exactly the opposite uh, for the most part. They have no money or limited money, and it's all about leveraging what you can to make the most out of that money. Um, I, I would say the exception is the uh, Rotary Club, part of Rotary Inter International, which does have a huge foundation fund um, that's hundreds of millions, maybe a billion dollars. Um, but that funds uh, projects all over the world, things like polio eradication, uh, water systems, um, literacy projects, many, many things. Um, most of the organizations are run more or less on a shoestring. And even with Rotary, if you're working on a water project, um, a, a typical one is uh, a sand water filter project where Someone, in fact, I think they were possibly in Colorado. Someone came up with an idea for a very simple third world water filter, which is uh, a box about the size of a washing machine that's basically full of sand and gravel. Uh, and you, uh, you put the dirty water in through the top of this thing and provided it's contaminated with uh, living organisms you know, um, and not industrial chemicals, uh, which is common. Um, then what happens is a very simple process, a, a biofilm, they call it, just a colony of, of benevolent bugs grows on the surface of the sand and uh, they deplete all the food supply so the bad bugs can't survive. And by the time the water comes out the other end, it's clean. Well, this device costs about $50 and statistically over its lifetime will save six lives and will improve the quality of life for dozens of people with skin rashes and diarrhea and vaginal infections and all kinds of miserable conditions. 
So you look at that and you say, okay, if I can do that for 50 bucks, <clears throat> why would I waste it on anything else? So even if you have a, a, a big budget available, it still is imperative to use it wisely and do it as tight wad as, as possible. That's well so said. That's, yeah, it's one of the things I do in my spare time, and it's way more important than television. So it's much more satisfying. I uh, saw the. I don't know if you're familiar with the organization, but the the Baptist Men of Texas is a uh, a big uh, disaster relief organization, and one of their guys, just a, an engineer uh, who, who was retired, came up with this system of using those those orange buckets from from Home Depot, uh, two of those, and some sand and some gravel, and making uh, a water filter out of that. The whole thing cost about four bucks, uh, and can supply clean water to a family of five for a month before you have to change anything. And then the only thing you change is some charcoal, which is like 80 cents. Uh, so there's there's really neat stuff going like that going on. Um, we don't think about it because, you know, here in the U.S., we have infinite supplies of, of potable water, so we never even think about it. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Uh, in fact, please put that uh, link to that organization, if you would, or at least the name of the organization in the show notes. I'm, I'm real interested in water. We... Um, uh, I just discovered uh, recently at a local symposium on uh, water projects an organization right here in Denver that uh, is doing great things around that called Water for People. Uh, and their emphasis is on the sustainability piece because what we have found over the years and seems obvious in retrospect, but for various reasons was was never thought through, I guess, is it's no good to sort of fly in and, and build this massive big water system if people don't have the operational funds to maintain it over time. Um, and this is a big challenge because a lot of places are really, really poor because they have a shortage of capitalism. And they have a shortage of capitalism because they have an excess of tribalism or war or whatever. So it becomes this much bigger holistic project to effectively set up a water company that can collect enough money to keep the thing going over time. And Water for People specializes in that. And they will not even start a project until they've got it figured out with enough local commitment to make this thing run forever, be self-funding, uh, to make it work. And, the, you know, the cost by American standards are very low, but if you're in Mali or Burundi or something, and you need to generate 50 bucks a month to keep the water system repaired for a couple hundred people that can be a challenge so uh anyway it's a it's a whole interesting engineering paradigm very well suited i think as a as a puzzle and challenge for tight wad tech engineering minds like ours which well, uh, uh which um go ahead go ahead sean yeah well i maybe you were going to ask this mark but uh, now i'm curious uh when you talk about volunteering for these organizations are you just volunteering your time and doing whatever it is that needs to be done or are you the volunteer tech guy or what is it exactly that you're doing yeah well it depends so um i would say most of my time is actually spent uh with the rotary club and with uh tech for all which we talked about the last time which is a computer donation um organization uh with tech for all it's much more computer tech kind of back-end network oriented stuff uh 
and out of Tech for All, uh, I met a, a wonderful man who is a pastor at a place called the Allah Source Refugee Ministry here in Denver. Uh, and he's an African refugee who uh, has built not only a ministry, but a kind of a social service organization for other African uh, refugees to sort of get them integrated into American society so that they can become productive you know, taxpaying citizens in this country. Uh, they do some great work. And I, so I do some kind of general IT stuff for them and just help them get off the ground. Uh, with the Rotary Club, it's more about fundraising and partnering. Um, Rotary is a, an interesting combination of, there's something like 33,000 clubs worldwide. And the strength of the clubs is it, they are often especially in third world countries, uh, c consist of the movers and shakers in those places. So it's a kind of person-to-person -person connection to get through the red tape that's crippling the country. If you want to get polio vaccine into, you know, some third world country, you want to get a water system or whatever, you know, kind of trying to go in through the front door can be nearly impossible. But if a guy in the Rotary Club happens to be the health minister or the you know, whatever, director of sanitation or something, you can probably get it done pretty quickly. And um, there are some paperwork procedures, but they, um, the funding structure is you have this gigantic pot of money in an international foundation. And so it's a matching situation where the club need only raise maybe a couple of thousand dollars, and it might get matched eventually five to one uh, through various kind of, organizational structures um, so there there's some value in kind of learning that system and oddly enough it again it didn't seem intuitive to me but the world is full of people wanting to help out in some way and being kind of stuck because they don't know the vehicle and so when we ask for money or, or ask for you know, some sort of logistical help setting up a website or, you know, whatever. Um, it's surprising to me how many people view that opportunity as a gift to them. Um, I would not have guessed that going in. All right. And all that leads to uh, the logical question of how did you get here? If you're, if you're, you work for Comcast, you're involved in all these charities, what bring, brings you to a show that, uh, was launched for the classroom educator uh, or technician uh, and focuses largely on, on education. Well, the education was kind of a secondary aspect to me. I was attracted initially to the tightwalk tech aspect. I think I was born with a gene that loves to turn trash into treasure. And so repurposing discarded computers and repairing them, you know, taking cannibalizing two to make one good one, that kind of thing, it just is something that has always given me great pleasure. But then I sort I realized with all this third world stuff that literacy and education is a really big problem as well in many places, and it's just a natural fit with that. Um, you can take even a very low-end computer, put a lightweight operating system on it, like a old version of Linux. Um, and if you have connectivity, you can do everything you need through a web browser. And if you don't have connectivity, you can do everything you need through lightweight, free uh, programs. 
So now that the world is awash in discarded computer hardware um, and free software that's of excellent quality, it's kind of a natural fit to put that together and again to leverage it in a big way. A, a old computer that is um, rightfully considered toxic waste in the United States because it has lead and other things in it uh, can be sent to Africa or um, uh, even you know places much closer than that and provide very high value for many more years uh, bringing people up to speed. And in parallel with this, there are some educational efforts around um, college curriculum and uh, online uh, free Creative Commons textbooks and, and things of this nature that I believe within 10 years, certainly probably less, are really going to provide access to a first-class education for people uh, who have that connectivity. So to whatever degree I can be a part of that, um, it's wonderful. Uh, one of the things I discovered about myself, being male, I'm very um, unaware of myself and obvious <laughs> aspects of myself. Got to hit me with a two-by-four, right? <laughs> and one of the things I uh, discovered about myself, oh, it's been almost 20 years ago, was uh, the thing that most turns me on is helping other people have a great life, however that is for them, whatever that is for them. And so this really um, scratches that itch for me and, uh, and just provides a lot of satisfaction. So, you know, on the surface, it may look very altruistic. It's nothing of the sort. Uh, that's a happy secondary outcome, almost coincidental. Um, I do this because I really enjoy it. It's, uh, you know, for some people it's chess and for some people it's this. No telling where that comes from, really. That's interesting. That I had never really thought about that until you said it just now. But for the last, you know, two and a half years now of this show, there's of course been the the tightwad ethos has 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 been uh, you know borne out time and time again. But also there's been an underlying current of altruism and servanthood that I never really noticed before. But, but Sean and I both sort of bring that mindset to our jobs and to education. And uh, until you pointed it out just now, I didn't realize that was sort of one of the things that that we stand for on this show it was, it was almost accidental but I see that now I see that that uh, even though we're you know we're t oftentimes talking about something like slide rocket or or uh, you know something like that we um, we're often uh, talking about the best way to serve our our you know constituents whatever they may be students or business uh, your bosses or whatever so uh, I, you you pointed out something that I didn't even realize was going on It'll be interesting to see uh, how this goes going forward now that you're aware of it and you can sort of dive into that and explore a little bit and see where that leads. Uh, I have found it's been a tremendously satisfying thing for me. Uh, one of the activities I embarked upon shortly after I made this discovery about myself was um, we just happened to have um, Outside of Denver, there's uh, a number of big, uh, very nice ski areas, and uh, one of them happens to host an organization called the National Sports Center for the Disabled. And they have summer and winter programs, but as the name implies, um, they assist and teach uh, disabled people in skiing and snowshoeing and kayaking and horseback riding and mountain climbing, you name it. 
Uh, so I became a volunteer ski instructor uh, in that program, and it's uh, just a tremendously uh, satisfying and enjoyable kind of thing. And it's really, uh, it really gives me great gratitude for the life I have, because while I may piss and moan about how Ubuntu broke the user interface or Windows is, <laughs> you know, making everybody upgrade again or whatever, you know... Then I can go up and have a fabulous day with a guy who doesn't have legs or is paralyzed or something. And we can have a terrific day skiing and enjoying, you know, this great creation of these mountains. And um, it just really puts it in perspective. It really makes me realize how great my life is and how fortunate I am uh, and how fortunate they are. It's, uh, it's a real win. It's very satisfying. Pete, now I, I have to ask you, uh, because I've seen this uh, in myself as I've aged, uh, but uh, have you always been that way, or is that something that's just interested you more along the way? Because it's definitely been the latter for me. Yeah, it's the latter for me. I had the epiphany about 20 years ago when I was about 35, and that was a real watershed moment in my life. Uh, and that's when I would say the quality of my life just took a step function upward once I realized um, what it was that made me happy. I'm sorry, I, no I can't longer let that kind of, You know you're a geek when you use a phrase step function in normal conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, let's hope we don't get into Laplace transformations. <laughs> uh, All right, so yeah, you anyhow, can go on being serious now. I just had to point that out. Head, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, you know, so it's almost like I've always been a reasonably happy person, but I, but the thing that really gave me joy, you know, this business of helping out other people, I would just sort of randomly bump into that um, in, you know, not in any planned or coordinated way. So I, my life would go through sort of up and down periods of great happiness or less happiness. And, and now to have that in my control, to realize, gee, if things are going a little uh, poorly, it's because I'm not doing the thing enough that uh, that makes me happy, which is helping other people. And then just bingo, I'm being associated with all these organizations who do that kind of thing. I can immediately um, go do some volunteer work. Another organization, uh, Project Cure, uh, this is something a guy came up with uh, also in, in the Denver area. It's spread around a lot now and it's real simple he collects uh used medical supplies surplus medical supplies and equipment uh and packages it up and sends it to uh, third world countries and there's a whole lot of expert assessment uh, around that but they have a lot of grunt volunteers like me who are not medical people just lay people uh but we know how to sort out boxes of random donated stuff of uh you know scissors and tape and hoses and whatever and they've got i don't know maybe 150 bins for different things and i was able to help them a little bit in the it realm with that uh initially when i started with them a couple of years ago um they would have one subject matter expert usually a nurse um who knew what all this stuff was and then maybe 20 unskilled lay volunteers who would pick up a blister pack you know, unopened package of some kind of tubing and say, you know, what is this? And so it was always gated by the availability of the nurse. Well, I talked to their IT director 
And I said, look, we need a real simple distributed database here, what I call the flypaper database, which is uh, as soon as you scan in a SKU or type in a part number or, you know, however we get the data in, and it says, I don't know, call the SME, then the SME comes over and enters it once, says that goes in bin 146. And you're done, right? Now it knows about that forever. And just, uh, just and to, when you combine, uh, I got to stop you there for for a second. For our audience, Smee is not the servant of Captain Hook. It's subject matter <laughs> expert. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, um, you know, that just removed that roadblock because now you can take, for example, a number of 1990s era laptops that can only really run Windows 95, but they can pull up a web browser which means they can get to this database, which means every table or every volunteer even can have access uh, for a total in installed cost of zero uh, to a very simple database that um, eliminates this bottleneck of a shortage of skilled uh, subject matter experts. So, you know, there's always, there's always something. If you just sort of open your eyes and look and say, where's the big need here uh, that that corresponds with some skill set that I have, uh, I have often been surprised. Uh, like the skiing thing. You know, I don't know anything about teaching disabled people how to ski, but I know how to ski. Um, and um, they have a great training program there, and they teach you how to do it. So it's uh, it's just been a really fun journey and, and a very satisfying one. Okay, now, uh, Pete, just to, to change gears, I've, while, while uh, you guys were talking about that, I was kind of going through uh, all of the stuff that you do with Denver Tech for All, and as far as, you know, you have in interesting challenges in deploying, right, in deployment or in really just setting uh, these machines up, and you had some interesting notes. Uh, it sounds like you've gone through quite a path of trying to figure out, you know, just how to manage getting these things uh, set to hand out. Um, did you want to talk about any of that stuff in specific in, uh, or specifically? I know we, we probably couldn't go into it all, but uh, there's some sure, uh, yeah. interesting things. Yeah, I think uh, we've hit uh, six of his 394 bullet points so far. <laughs> yeah, so um, the the challenge at Tech for All Rose has really built quite an organization over the years, uh, and the challenge is it's all been manual, you know put in the CD and install Windows and, you know, click and type, uh, which doesn't scale very well for an organization that does, you know, thousands of computers. Um, so I look at that, you know, and, and from a very high level and not knowing anything about Windows really when I started out saying, well, this, surely this is all scriptable and, you know, at the Dell factory, they must have ways of doing this automatically and We'll get this all fixed up. So, uh, first, there was some preliminary work to do. Uh, Rose needed a lot of help with uh, with networking stuff there, and I got that set up for her. And the biggest single improvement was installing a um, an easy task: installing a caching uh, transparent web proxy. Uh, and the reason that helped was. Now, when all these hand-built Windows machines go out to get their 500 megabytes of updates or whatever it is, uh, it's all cached locally, or most of it is. And so it comes over the network very quickly. 
uh, that actually raised her throughput about 30% just doing that. Uh, but uh, it still didn't solve the problem of there's all this manual work, which takes a lot of hours that would be better spent doing other things and is very error prone. Uh, there's a, a very specific um, bundle of software that Rose wants to have installed. And because these machines are all donated, they're all Frankenstein. You, you can't clone because they all need different drivers and different this and different that. So it became this gigantic research project. Again, for a guy who doesn't know very much about Windows, I had to kind of start from zero and say, okay, is there a scripted installer available? And if so, how does it work? <clears throat> and it's, it's just been like a root canal um, figuring all this out because the information is spread all over the place. But it turns out, yeah, um, Microsoft has evolved starting in Windows 2000, I think. They have put some stuff in so that you can do scripted installs either off a CD or off a network boot, a Pixie boot. Uh, and Pixie is PXE, pre-boot execution environment. It's a, you can look that up on Wikipedia or whatever. Um, so I started investigating that and I thought, well, somebody must have this just down perfectly. Maybe Microsoft, maybe the Linux guys, but somebody must have this just nailed and we'll just put it in. Well, it's not true. <laughs> it's, it's been a real challenge. And the problem is there's about four or five different options I've come up with uh, of possibly doing this. And all of them require many hours of research just to figure out what the limits are of the different approach. But there's recently an approach that I think is promising. Um, and that is, uh, VMware has a real thin light operating system, uh, hypervisor really. And it's basically a hardware abstraction layer. So what this thing does is you install it on a computer and it, um, talks to the network interface and the screen and the keyboard and whatever. And, um, and presents all that in a generic way to a virtual machine. And that means all of a sudden you can clone now. You can have one virtual machine that's got all the software you want set up the way you want it. And you stick that inside this and this VMware um, product provides kind of the glue to get that virtual machine to all this crazy different hardware. So that's actually my next investigation. It's the one I haven't investigated yet because I just recently discovered it. Um, but I think this hold, holds great promise, and I just hope that it can talk to all these crazy network uh, and graphics chipsets that uh, and wireless chipsets and stuff that we have to deal with. Uh, and to whatever extent it, it will, uh, I think it'll be of great benefit because it will take away all the automation needed or almost all the automation needed on the provisioning side. Uh, and then we can go ahead and hand build the virtual machine because we only have to do it once. And then maybe once a month, we might update it with the latest version of, you know, open office or take all the windows updates or whatever and start using that one. So now, many, many hours put you, into this with no fruitful result yet, but I'm hoping we're close. 
So you're you're kind of you. So what you're saying is you're kind of zeroing in on that, but haven't quite really had the uh, the time behind it yet to to say if that's going to work for sure or not. Yeah, I keep getting uh, kind of waylaid and um, onto other things, you know, be it water projects or right. other things at Tech for All or whatever. Um, <clears throat> but I think I'm I'm back into the swing of it, and uh, so my goal is by the end of the year to have this wrapped up, um, and this. This would be a huge thing. It's kind of a high-class problem that I've, that Rose and I have talked about a couple of times, which is, okay, with whatever approach we get in, once we have the automation in and we now have four or five full-time equivalent volunteers who can now be repurposed to do something else, what's the something else going to be? And where's the bottleneck going to be now, now that we've moved it? Uh, you know, uh, and that's uh, a good problem to have. Oki Jason in our chat room uh, hearkened back to uh, the tool that we talked about on the show a while back called Fiddlehead from CDI, which is essentially what you're talking about doing, a, a VM that lives in a very thin hypervisor. Um, and, you know, I, I have some in with those guys since we talked to the, the inventor of the project and I know some people at the company. I'm going to, I don't know if it'll do any good, but I'm going to send them an email and see if they'd be willing to set you up with a complimentary set of licenses for that, for what you do, because that would be perfect. That's exactly what you're talking about I, doing. Yeah, I would love that. In fact, I was real excited when that episode came out, and I tried contacting them, but I uh, never was able to get a response from them. So, yeah, if you could connect us, uh, I would love that. I know they had um, um, kind of a couple of pieces to it. They have right. the uh, piece that sits in the BIOS chip, I think. Uh, and then they also had a, a management uh, piece, and I, I'm not so sure we would need the management piece. And right. I, the only part of that, that the, the only part of that that would sort of fall down is that it has a dial in a dial home thing, so it checks the licensing periodically, and it needs to be on a LAN. But you know, I'm going to talk with uh, with them. I, 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 I'm not making any promises, but I'm going to talk with them and see if maybe they'd be willing to uh, look at uh, at doing something like that because I'm sure sure they could turn that off. And give you guys something that doesn't dial home, that doesn't check the licensing, um, and they're not out. I mean, even would, yeah. I mean, they're not out anything. Um, it, it'd be worth worth checking into. But anyway, thank you, Oki Jason, for pointing that out. And I'm going to take that and run with it and, and see what happens. Yeah, and, thanks uh, very Mark, much. That's great. I throw the power of the Element OP network behind them. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Hey, uh, Mark, I, I did uh, watched a Fiddlehead demo uh, here recently, and they were showing their new uh, kind of the management controls that they built into that system. And uh, they referenced a classroom management tool. You know, they built in a thing where a teacher can bring up uh, the entire classroom and see all the computers in their classroom. And uh, not only did it look like ITEL, it was ITEL. Yeah, I have no doubt, yeah. Yeah, I mean, literally, it, it wasn't even <laughs> rebranded. It was it was Italc. Uh So I thought that was great, uh, just seeing that in there. And you know, I, I can't blame them. I mean, uh, you couldn't really pick a much better tool. So uh, I thought that was interesting that Fiddlehead is using Italc as the classroom management part. Which uh, brings up an interesting well, question. Me, you know, go ahead, Pete. Oh, I was just going to say it. It also gave me hope about Fiddlehead. That I'll bet a whole lot of Fiddlehead is GPL software, it which is. you know by law has to be made available anyway. So um, and probably the same with Italc. So uh, yeah, the GNU GPL two or three uh, license uh, conveys that 
freedom to people. And, and um, you know, while there may be some proprietary pieces kind of hooked into there, I, I would expect that the vast majority is actually freely available. Yeah, which begs the sort of uh, uh, ego-based question. Have you gotten any tips or tools from this show that have helped you in your uh, tightwad endeavors over the years? Oh, yeah. Yeah, very That's many. the right um, answer. Thank you. <laughs> he, could, he couldn't Checks have made mail. it this far without us. <laughs> yeah, no, this, uh, this show has been... Um, terrific in many tools i i can't even think of them off the top of my head but i'll tell you backup pc was one um cat mouse uh many things a lot of the stuff you guys have talked about with google docs uh, i already knew about clear os which has been a mainstay uh but that actually brings up uh, there's another great free tool out there that i use all the time and maybe you guys do called a uh, multi-system uh, wait 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 and, wait 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 so uh, this is the yep. time uh, every week uh, for our tip of the week. There we go. <laughs> tip of the week. Me and Mark don't have a tip of the week this week. So, <laughs> so go ahead, Pete, with our tip of the week. <laughs> yeah, so multi-system, and I have a link in the document here, which uh, somebody can paste into the chat room. Um, it's actually a French web page, but when I bring it up, at least, Google gives me a pop-up and says, do you want to translate this to English? And I say yes, and it just works perfectly. Uh, anyway, what this is, is it's a uh, uh, it's a free software tool that only runs on Linux as far as I know, uh, but it will take a USB memory stick and manage it to where you can put a whole bunch of live CDs on it, and it knows about an awful lot of them. I use the Ultimate Boot CD, which is a collection of utilities to test and repair hard drives and overwrite passwords and um, clone hard drives and th you know just many many things um, I have a couple of Linux distributions uh, and you can put all of these on this USB stick and then when you boot the uh, computer into the USB stick you get a very nice little menu that lists all the things that are on it and you pick the thing you want and off you go and maybe it's a live U uh, Linux distribution for use in checking out the machine. Maybe it's uh, some utility that gives you a hardware inventory of, of the machine, uh, memtest, you know, whatever. So uh, I find that indispensable. Now I only have to carry a single 8-gig USB stick in my bag, and it's got virtually everything I need. I've used a similar tool to that. I'm trying to remember what the name of it is. It, uh, um I don't remember, but it does basically the same thing. But no, I've never heard of multi-system. Yeah, check it out. It's really good. Um, one of the uh, tools that I have on there is something called DBAN. I think I probably mentioned it on the prior show, but uh, that stands for Derek's Boot and Nuke. And it's a uh, really good hard drive wiping program, which obviously is useful in the donated computer business. Uh, that's the first order of business when I take in a donated computer is I fire up D-Band and just blow away the hard drive. Right. Uh, and it Mark. uses a Department of Defense algorithm, so it takes hours to do it. But, you know, you sort of fire it up and walk away and come back after yeah, lunch. Let's thing. talk about that just a little bit. By the way, um, the, the best experts in the world say that that's a bunch of hokum. 
that that uh, Gutman method, the the twenty what is twenty five butterfly rights or whatever. Um, the the best experts in the world say that two rights of random data is as good as you can get. Everything else is just thrashing your hard drive and wasting time. So I yeah, I know you're you're a well security guy and you're going to argue with me about that because you're you're a, a tinfoil hat and I get that I I totally accept that but uh, I think you're just thrashing an already aging drive. Well, it could very well be true, but I don't mind putting an extra four hours of thrash on the drive. You know, to be able to use an off-the-shelf tool is right. fine. Um, uh, was it? You know, uh, if it UV was Mark? doing more than that. Sorry. I. I'm sorry, Mark. I was, I was throwing this in there. This is what I use. Yumi or Yummy for your multi-boot. multi-boot. Oh, okay. That's I don't know that one either. Uh, so we've got three uh, different tools now, one of which I can't remember the name of. If I remember, I'll put it in the notes. Yeah, that's the one I use. Uh, use that as next week's uh, show tip. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think it's been a show tip. I Actually, if I go look through the tips, I'm pretty sure I'll find it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, multi-system is located at liveusb.info slash dot clear, spelled out, dot clear, um, which is an odd URL. I'm sure we'll get that in the notes. Uh, the other tool that I use a lot uh, for these different charity organizations is, uh, and I mentioned it briefly with the, the proxy server, uh, it's, an, uh, it's a live CD called Clear OS. The URL for that is uh, clearfoundation.com. It's free, and uh, basically, it's a it's a whole bunch of tools built on uh, CentOS, which is kind of a flavor of Red Hat Linux. And it's a server and a gateway and a firewall and a VPN server and a web server and I don't know FTP and Windows shares, you name it, and uh, all in this one thing. So you get a computer with two network cards, and you have one going to the internet and the other one going inside it even manages windows domains to a degree um and so i i just kind of routinely when i'm working with a charity organization i'll throw one of those in and it takes almost no time to set up it's all web administered takes the pain brain damage out of it you don't need the command line stuff and uh that that tends to solve many problems and the organization tends to grow into it um over time as well. For example, the Allosource Refugee Ministry, I threw one of those in there, and now we're uh, doing many more things with it than we ever anticipated, and I think we're going to use the heck out of the VPN uh, capability more than we originally had uh, had envisioned. Yeah, I used uh, back that back when it was called Clark Connect. That's how, how right. long ago it's been since I used it. Boy, I thought I was old. <laughs> I'm only old in terms of tech. I've been uh, messing with this stuff for a long time. Uh, so we're, you know, we're rounding out the hour here. Uh, um, so I think it's time to to put a bow on this present. Uh, so I'll ask you what I, I like to ask everybody who comes on. If you had um, one tip, one point, one idea that you wanted to make sure our audience uh, leaves here with, if they don't get anything else, what would that be? Uh, that would be, if you want to make yourself happy, go do something for someone else. It seems counterintuitive, but in my life, it's the only way I've found to be truly happy, and it works like a charm, and it's 
much easier to do uh, if you can help out in some way that you enjoy doing anyway, working on computers, education, whatever the thing is that you like to do, figure out a way to do that in an assistive context, a sort of charitable context, and you'll be very happy. I've got a friend who argues vehemently that there's no such thing as altruism, because if you enjoy it, you're doing it for your own enjoyment, and that makes it selfish. Therefore, it's not altruistic oh, anymore. I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And the, the part that looks altruistic is a happy consequence uh, byproduct. Sean, you look like you're thinking about that one. Yeah, I could hear the, yeah, the squeaky wheel I'm, turning. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm just, I should probably keep it to myself. <laughs> <laughs> one of those moments where you're like, I better just keep my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, totally agree with the points that were made. <laughs> <laughs> yes, dear. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, Pete. It's been awesome to have you around. Uh, the last time you were here, we looked it up before the show, was episode 41, 69 episodes ago. Uh, that was in March of 2011, so 19 months ago you were here. So uh, let's have you back in uh, another two years uh, for another <laughs> listener spotlight, and uh, let's just go ahead and book that now so that we don't forget. <laughs> Good idea. No, Maybe you know by what? then I'll actually, finally have the damn provisioning worked out. <laughs> well, and that, that's what I was going to say, Pete, because if you get, if, if that hypervisor setup actually ends up working out for you, uh, shoot me an email because, you know, if you get it up and working, I'd love to have you back on the show and you can tell us all about uh, how that works. Uh, but you know, maybe it ends up being another one in the long line of things you've tried and, and hasn't quite done it, but if so, let me know. Well, I'm... I, I will do that. And uh, one thing that worries me is uh, with VMware or, or even Fiddlehead is a commercial solution can be abandoned by the vendor and then you're dead. You've built your organizational process around a dead product. I had that happen with Google Calendar of all things. Uh, with the Rotary Club, I had our club events scheduled on Google Calendar. It was awesome. It would push it to people's phones, whatever. And then one day I just couldn't edit it anymore. And I screwed around with it for about an hour, and I finally went on their help forums and realized that at that time, this is two years ago now, uh, it had been an open bug for 18 months, and clearly the product had been abandoned. So I learned a real lesson there, that free gratis without free Libre, meaning it's a company that won't give you the source code but will let you use it for free, is a fool's errand, because one day it won't be there anymore. <laughs> And you're dead. So that's definitely part of the equation. So clearly you're a listener of our Everyday Linux show. Just with that statement alone tells me that you are. <laughs> uh, occasionally. I must confess yeah. I spend a lot more time listening to uh, pro wrestling podcasts than that. But, you know, guy's got to have his priorities. <laughs> that is totally the wrong answer. Let me try that again. So clearly... <laughs> That statement indicates that you're a listener of our Everyday Linux show. Of course, it's awesome. I'd never miss it. <laughs> Much better. Thank you. I'll, I'll fix that in post. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Must have been a Skype glitch. <laughs> love it. Love it. Well, Pete, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun catching up with you and uh, 
by all means, stay in touch. And even if it's uh, in between and we're uh, not having you on the show, uh, you know where to find us. So uh, we are always interested in hearing what you have going on. Yeah, likewise, guys. Uh, don't be strangers. And uh, if you shoot me an email, whatever, I, I mostly answer. And I really appreciate the podcast and all the work you guys put into it. There's a lot of unsung labor behind the scenes there. And, uh, you know, I don't know how many million dollars you're going to make off it this year, but I can tell you I appreciate it. Yeah, it's going to be, be slightly less than two. Yeah. <laughs> dollars. <laughs> So if you would like to be on a show or like to let us know what you think about this show, the place to do that is at elementopi.com. Use the contact us button conspicuously placed at the top of the page or uh, click on over to the forums and leave a post there in the forum for people to read. Or if you'd like your voice to be here alongside mine on the air, you could uh, click the button that says leave us a voicemail. Enter your name, that's optional. Enter your phone number, that's not optional. And Google Voice will call you, and you can leave a message up to three minutes in length, length, and we will play it on the air. That's a threat. We will do it. You dare me? I'll do it. So uh, uh, we like to hear from you guys. Let us know what we're doing right. And uh, if you have to, let us know what we're doing wrong. And uh, But more importantly, let us know what you'd like us to do in the future. If you've got a show topic, if you've got a charity out there or a great cause that you'd like us to highlight, somebody who's really doing tightwad tech for the right reasons, uh, let us know and we will uh, set about highlighting them in the best way possible. Uh, Pete, thanks for all that you do for not only Denver Tech for All, but for all those other things that you do. It's it's uh, uh, refreshing to think that there are people like you out there who are, who are uh, giving back more than they receive, and uh, I appreciate that. And I uh, thank you for being with us and for being a contributor to so many of our shows uh, as well. Uh, I know that you're a regular uh, a contributor of news stories to the um, Thursday show um, that I just forgot the name of. Periodic Table. There table. it is. My, my brain just <laughs> started oozing out of my head and I couldn't remember it. So, yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's a fun show that uh, Pete likes to send news stories in. So thanks for that. Thanks for being a, a good member of the community. and. Uh, we hope to have you on again soon. Thank you, guys. Looking forward to it. And, Sean, any last words from you? Uh, no. Uh, just uh, join us. Jo- like you said, Mark, that show, uh, The Periodic Table. Hey, if you listen <laughs> to this show, uh, that one's uh, just funnier, I guess. I don't know. It's just goofy madness. So if you're, if you're interested in anything we do, you might want to go over and check it out if you haven't already. Uh, the periodic table we record live on Thursdays and release that one on Saturdays. Uh, other than that, Mark, uh, no, just another great show. Well, thank you for the vote of confidence, and uh, thank you, Pete, for being with us. And I'm going to say that's it for us, and this is Mark signing off. And Sean signing off. And Go Pete ahead, signing Pete. off. Good night. There you go. <laughs> <laughs>